stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone! Guaranteed to be more memorable than this year's Super Bowl, welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Filling in for your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. This is RJ O'Connell and Ryan King, and welcome back to Motorsport 101, episode 178. And your first episode of maybe the second episode of the month of February? This uh, this offseason's flown by, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like it's not even been an offseason. It's like we've had races to watch almost every weekend. Like, uh, like, yeah, this off season is so just so thin with content where you only have a uh, a formula it, where you have an FIA sanctioned championship with a massive international presence, but it's not a world championship by letter of the law. <laughs> you have had two major endurance sports car races. Um, you've had. Uh, had two world rally championship rounds yep and uh this week we're having the start of nascar season in earnest yes we are excellent excellent king uh have you enjoyed the last fortnight feel good you feel uh (laughs) it's been the hardest fortnight of my life (laughs) isn't it ever you know it's it's always a task you just got to be the last person standing out of a hundred um oh I, I can't be the last person on the new york knicks that's sad oh here we go i'm gonna lay out for king here while i prepare our uh, our general housekeeping in places where you find us uh king tell us about your beloved new york knicks well um Do you could argue have their top player Depends on who you think the top player is. If you think it's uh, Ennis Cantor, we also don't have him. Kristaps uh, Porzingis, definitely don't have him. Yeah, um, the Knicks Kristaps Porzingis uh, was traded to Dallas for uh, cap space. For yeah, yeah, we traded him. We traded Tim Hardaway Jr. <laughs> um, we we lost it all for cap space. Yeah, but that's okay. They're definitely going to sign a marquee free agent <laughs> this offseason, right? Right? I hope so. The Knicks certainly have a track record of doing this and not settling for the second or third best options that are available in recent years. <laughs> oh, I hope we don't. Are we going to try to re-sign Carmelo? Don't do that. Hey, Jeremy Wynn's available on the market. <laughs> Insanity Part 2 Electric Boogaloo <laughs> is not coming back to the Knicks. I don't have a favorite NBA team. I have a favorite NHL team. They're fine. I guess we all watched the Super Bowl. Some of us did. So it was certainly a, a sanctioned game of football. I mean, it's no AAF. Yeah, it's no AAF, man. Yeah, the I... only sport that listened to uh, the internet's John Boys when they when he said that foot kickoffs are stupid and bad. <laughs> oh yes, we have a uh, believe it or not in this thin uh, off season, which really isn't an off season. We have 
We have stuff to talk about, like F1 launches and um, new sponsorships and new team names and uh, W Series updates at a Japan section and uh, screwiness going on in IndyCar, which is having their testing right now as we record this on the wonderful afternoon of February 12, 2019. Um, we'll also talk about the Mexico E-Pre and maybe the Daytona 500 if we get to feeling like it by the time we get around to it. So the places you can find us, of course, all of Motorsport 101 and Motorsport 101 related content can be found at motorsport101.com. You can listen to your, this podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, and Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, we are at Harris101HD for Andre. He will be back on their next episode. RJ O'Connell at RJ O'Connell and at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And if you wish to back us financially, you can at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 dot forward slash motorsport101. $10 gets you access to our Discord server where you can listen to these shows as they are being recorded. At least $5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live. Thank you to all of our patrons. Tyra Small, James Kalancis, Josette Torres, Jason Poland, Toki Adeoye, Rezzy Raspati, Stephen Ryan, Black and Mild, Cameron Buckley, Aaron Evans, Rhino GT4, Brian Glennon, Joe McMillan, Connor Pearson, Sean Nowachuku, Matthew Powell, Nathan Green, Lee Dowling, James Henke, Leston Williams, and Miles Pardo. All of our Patreon backers listed from platinum to bronze tier. Thanks to you, all of this is possible. So thank you all so, so much. We really okay. do appreciate it. Yeah, you we're guys are just, best. We're not just going to use your money to buy a can of rich energy. Oh, God. It's like we're just saving up all the earnings. Like eventually down the line, we'll have enough Patreon earnings. Like, okay, I think we got $500. We could buy one can of rich energy. All right. Um, so after we take this quick musical interlude, we're going to jump in right to the main section of our show. The beginning of Formula One launch extravaganza right after this. start of formula one season and whether we want it to or not um we are getting to a crucial juncture uh preseason testing is coming up soon we'll actually be able to watch it at live as it happens the season starts on march 17th but before then and there we get to car launches car launches and we might as well start uh, by doing a little bit of a, a preamble, if you will, for a team that has not launched a car, at least at the time of recording, but a team that is very familiar and near and dear to our hearts, but has a much different identity, King. Yeah. Sabra's gone, and Alpha's back. February 1st, 2019, it was announced that the Sauber team would enter the 2019 season as Alfa Romeo Racing, although the ownership 
and management structure remain unchanged. This is Alfa Romeo's first presence as a manufacturer since 1985, if you believe that version of continuity, or since 2008, if you believe the other version of continuity. Or since 1951, if you believe that version of continuity. Yeah, yeah, been back before they were uh, Benetton team, Alfa Romeo, in the uh, throughout the late 70s to early 80s. And they were part of the first two world championships, having dudes like Farina and Fangio. You know, just a couple of guys who combined for only six world titles. <laughs> um, and, you know, they kind of... They kind of won those world championships in a car that was designed in 1938. Oh man. So, uh, so King, I want to I want to start with you because obviously this is this is a little bit different. I mean, obviously, uh, the change to Alfa Romeo Racing, it's it's a big one because even in the years where BMW owned this team that is based out of Switzerland, that was founded by Peter Sauber, the Sauber name still remained in the sport. Um, but now it's not a official part of the team anymore. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I think it's kind of hinting at, you know, how involved that, you know, Fiat group are going to be in this team. That this isn't going to be like a, just a title sponsorship. It's more than just that. Right. There was the feeling when we heard that Alfa Romeo were going to sponsor the team where we feel like, okay, yeah, it's nice. Alfa Romeo is going to give them a little bit of money, but ultimately, what's that going to amount to? And it's, it turns out, well, we have a effectively a Ferrari B team. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm, I'm actually fine with this for the company. I mean, when you consider where this team was going back to the depths of how bad it was in... 2016, 2017, where we all felt like Sauber was just months or a year away from its total collapse. So that's that is true. And and this is a team that is definitely on the up and up. I mean, signing Kimi Raikkonen was a step in the right direction. I feel like Antonio Giovinazzi is a is a very has gotten lost in the shuffle of the uh, the rookie class of 20, uh, 2019 in the midst of the hype around. Uh, Russell, Norris, and Albon, who are three exceptional drivers. They kind of forgotten about Antonio after one pretty good weekend and one kind of bad weekend as a racing driver. Yeah, that's pretty much all it takes when that's your only, when those are your only two outings in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Alfa Romeo name is back, Sauber name is gone, and that's that's got a long history, even going way back to the days before they entered Formula One in 1983, of course. They got their start uh, building sports cars. Um, mo- most would remember them for their time building, uh, effectively, the Mercedes factory uh, Group C program cars. As uh, as uh, as Cam in the Discord points out, uh, there was the C9, the C11. They had some pretty good young drivers at that time, including the likes of Carl Bentlinger, Heinz Harold Frensen, and uh, 20-year-old Michael Schumacher. Yeah. There's a lot of history in that name. There, there really is, and uh, I mean, it is kind of disappointing to see the name go away. But the team it, itself, as long as the base is still there and the most of the same people are still there, they are. I mean, the team hasn't really gone away. It's just, it's just a different brand. Yeah, just, just a different brand. Uh, it's like again, 
Like, it, when, you know, they rolled out the Mercedes-Benz C9, everyone knew it was still a Sovereign. Right. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, um... In the midst of this, um... Any favorite Sauber memories? I think uh, I think one that always sticks out in people's minds, of course, in the years of BMW's uh, peak. There was, of course, that time that Robert Kubica won the Canadian Grand Prix. That great yeah, season in 2012. Um, how about 2001, where they got their first? They got a they got a couple of podiums with a sophomore Nick Heidfeld and Kimi Räikkönen as a rookie with only 23 <laughs> races under his belt. Yep, the Patronus Sauber days. Oh, those cars were wonderful. The Red Bull Sauber Patronus with that blue and teal. Oh my goodness. It's um, it's definitely uh, it's uh, it's gonna be different, but I'm very glad that they are still around, and it looks like continuing on a on a far upward trajectory from where they had been at one point. Now let's talk about teams that may not be in a. On an upward though, trajectory. Though, one last note, it does feel really weird that, you know, Scuderia Ferrari started off of, as Alfa Romeo's, you know, pretty much not factory factory team, and now it's the other way around now. <laughs> and their car will launch on February 18th, so on our next episode, we will have, uh, we will not only have Dre back, but we'll get his thoughts on whatever Alfa Romeo decides to put out with their new car uh all i can say is that it, it's things are looking promising at alfa romeo should we talk about uh elvis being alive and moon landing conspiracies king <laughs> why not uh yes yeah, so the first team to launch their car was haas f1 team oh no i'm scratch that that's rich energy haas f1 team Ah, yes. They're back. They never truly left us. Rich Energy as title sponsors of Haas. With uh, with their brand new VF19 in a brand new colors, black and gold foil. They were deliberately going for a JPS uh, John Player special tribute. Um, first thoughts on the car itself. I know we have strong opinions about the title sponsor. <laughs> the I would say the livery itself is honestly fairly bland. Yeah, I got that same impression as well. I, I also kind of feel like certain sponsor logos, like Peak Antifreeze, kind of jar with the entire aesthetic that the car is going for. Yeah, the fact that they couldn't, like, tint like tint the peak antifreeze logo gold to make it like fit in more or they couldn't they can even tint the Haas branding on the side gold it's like pretty much they're like I'll just slap all the other logos on as is yeah so I'm seeing uh what looks to be much uh much tighter side pods of course the simplified front front wing which we'll see in all the cars here uh definitely it's a start in the right direction, at least. I don't know if they really nailed it as far as the livery they were trying to uh, trying to pay tribute. But uh, afterwards, we got some spicy quotes because, of course, we know the story of Rich Energy. It is upscale 
<laughs> made in British, made in Britain energy drink, which don't tell anybody that the can say they're actually made in Austria. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rich Energy had some. Uh, there was, of course, uh, skepticism about the uh, the sponsorship deal on addressing criticisms about the company's credibility and comments about the rare sightings of its products. Rich Energy CEO William Story told Motorsport.com that he welcomes scrutiny and that the distractors are obviously not on the same planet as you and me. I think a lot of people have put two and two together and got five. I've heard these nonsense rumors, whatever, and it's just completely risible. I just ignore it. Ultimately, we've just produced 90 million cans. As far as I'm concerned, anyone who says it doesn't exist is just like saying what man never walked on the moon or Elvis is still alive. It's just fantasy. I don't want to say it doesn't exist. I'm just saying it's really, really hard to obtain. It's um, it's only purchasable through Amazon in cases and you could only buy it in the UK. And in most places, it's really only available in, like, hotels and bars. It is a very upscale product at £2.75 a can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're, getting some, uh, we're getting some live reactions. Um, Charles Regible says, discount 2012 Lotus. Um, also, I can get a Jones Soda for the price of a can of Rich Energy. Cam Buckley says, needs more gold, 3 out of 10. Um, so we're going to get into a trend of, uh, of title sponsors who are coming in that have not actually produced a product that is readily available to the public. Um, do you feel optimistic about this rich energy Haas link up? Oh, I, I, I know that story has the money. I don't know. If the jokes are ever going to end because Rich Energy will never be readily available. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good point. That is a pretty, pretty good point. He certainly, if nothing else, is, uh, is, uh, is that beard, though. <laughs> oh, buddy. But that's okay, because they're going to top Red Bull Racing. Oh, God. Like... Story's strategy of sponsoring Haas was very strategic one to position himself in a direct rivalry with Red Bull, despite Red Bull as a company having like what sixty percent of the energy market share, like energy drink market share. And yes. it's like we're gonna we're gonna take the fight to Red Bull Racing, and then we're gonna turn off our PlayStation Fours and reboot and switch from that one twenty eighteen. In a universe where Rich Energy has the capital that Red Bull does and has and Haas F1 team has the established uh, winning experience in the car and the drivers to do it, yeah, they totally could, but they have none of those things. Red Bull Racing can pull an infinite well of cash and just throw it at anything they want. Yeah, and it's like, just, I forgot where I saw it on their branding material, but they they put out to paraphrase, rich energy won't give you wings, but it'll give you horns. And I'm like, mm, guys, no. Oh baby. Oh boy. Yeah, it's um. Of course, with any of these launches, of course, um, it. There are two things that are true. F one is not a is not a coloring book contest. 
and we don't know how these cars are actually going to fare until we at least get to Australia. Uh, should we pull another launch from the hat? Speaking of products that are not <laughs> readily available to the public. Ooh. So what do uh, so what do James Harden and Philip Rivers and Robert Kubica have in common? <laughs> I don't know. They're probably going to be on a display on display at the StubHub Center at some point in time. Actually, it's not even called the StubHub Center anymore. Williams Racing has announced a new multi-year agreement today with Rocket, R-O-K-I-T, a global telecommunications company in which Rocket becomes the ne- the team's new title sponsor. sponsor. No more martini. We're rocketing now. <laughs> yes, they have at least launched the livery, not the full Williams FW42, um, the car which will be driven by your reigning Formula 2 champion George Russell and the returning Robert Kubica. Um, it is uh, now now King. Um, yeah. This uh, Williams has uh, has a very uh, a very striking uh, blue flake and white pattern with uh, with black front and rear wings and uh, lower side pods. King, what bar <laughs> is Rocket Williams Racing? Well, I'm not thinking a bar. I think it's a fresh tube of Crest toothpaste. Oh yes, sponsored by the one and only USF4 co-owner legend, Doctor Jack, Jack Miller. Miller. Is oh, this my a... oh my goodness! Yeah, both of us watched the '97 Indianapolis 500. It's an experience. um so for williams obviously it's great that they have a title sponsor one that already has significant uh sponsorship deals with of course the houston rockets of the nba and the los angeles chargers of the nfl uh so there and of course uh nicholas hamilton has a sponsorship deal with rocket who make uh make budget price android phones that also include uh healthcare services and glasses 3D. Yeah, because besides Rocket, uh, the Rocket group of companies are actually a fairly profitable group of companies. If you uh, like, you know, cheap, <laughs> cheap beer, cheap Irish whiskey, cheap water. Okay, so so what else does the Rock Group uh, own again? Uh, they own uh, Rock Water, uh, Rock Vision Group, which is eyeglasses, Rock Botanics, Pure Rock, Rock Mobile, um, ABK Beer, and uh, Bogart Spirits. And isn't one of their co-founders also one of the dudes that founded uh, Paul Mitchell Hair Care and Patron Tequila? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they are not readily available on any U.S. carrier. In fact, their phones have not launched. So again, this is another product that is not available to the public just yet. But these phones are coming out soon, and apparently they have the money to pay Williams, a team of which we've all been kind of worried about in the last few years. Uh, Like, I don't, like, again, I think, harkening back to the Rich Energy deal, uh... The money's certainly there. 
probably gonna be a lot of jokes though <laughs> yeah it's you know i think in the surface it worries a lot of people that like in an era where you know the the formula 1.5 teams don't have as much as the mercedes the red bulls and the ferraris of the world so they've got to go out and get the money wherever they can and that has people worried that maybe like an attempt to reach out they might land the next shannon energy or the next team minus or the next sponsor that fails to pay the bills i mean lord knows even red bull is immune for this because they've announced the world's first f1 cryptocurrency sponsorship <laughs> deal futuro coin Oh my god. <laughs> yes, we got we've got energy drinks, we've got Bitcoin knockoffs, we got cheap Android phones. But one thing that ain't changing is the Toro Rosso livery. Because it's uh it actually looks good. Scuderia Toro Rosso launched their car recently as well. Uh the STR fourteen, which uh looking at it. It definitely does. Uh, it definitely comes closer to the Red Bull designs. Yeah, they're trying to lean into their to Red Bull a little bit. Like I haven't seen a car look this much like a Toro Rosso look this much like a contemporary Red Bull since since the days of uh, Vettel racing with the team. Yeah, <laughs> where these were absolutely just straight up Red Bull knockoffs from the previous year. <laughs> It definitely looks striking. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the uh, the metallic blue and the and the silver and white colors. It it definitely looks nice. The car looks tidy enough, and hopefully, with that second year of Honda power under their belt and two very solid drivers and Alex Albon and Danny Kvyat, they can go well. Of course, the thing with Toro Rosso is, and they've readily admitted, and Red Bull have readily admitted that they are basically the R and D team for Honda and Red Bull. So their uh, their competitiveness is prone to get sacrificed at some point. Although Red Bull Toro Rosso say they're going to get equal resources, well, we'll see how that plays out during the course of the season. Yeah, well, we're really gonna have to see how that plays out. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, because uh, if they have equal resources, uh, I don't, I don't buy the fact that they're gonna give a third and a ninth place team from last year equal resources. I'm just saying. I don't buy that when uh, Toro Rosso are full of or have two drivers that they wish they could have had someone else instead. <laughs> oh, and like, yeah, I think it's going to what it's the situation at Toro Rosso is pretty much going to boil down to how well it's going to boil down to how well Red Bull's doing because it. It doesn't feel like Red Bull even want their current Toro Rosso lineup to even exist. Right. Yeah, as, as alluded to, um, you know, they primarily want somebody that we'll talk about in our Japan section of the news section. Um, but, um, oh, man. I, I mean, I would love for Alvin and Kibia to do well. well. We'll see what happens. Again, if, if Honda are making the steps forward that we hope they are, then all the yeah. ingredients should be there for success. It, it, it feels like they're going to be the major league of of F1 teams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Please don't let Alex Albon turn out to be the Ricky Vaughn. Oh, no. 
Oh, because we know what his uh, we know what his actor turns out to be. Actually, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty upstanding dude. Um, Reno. Yes, this is a part where I get to lay out and you get to talk about your team. Yeah. Uh huh. You know what it is. <laughs> Black and yellow. Uh, what else could it be? It's pretty much same livery as last year. Don't know why people thought it was going to be different, but same livery as last year. And just looking at the car, I mean, my goodness, it's tight, it's sleek. Uh, they've got Daniel Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg. They say they've made a substantial step with the 2019 F1 engine. I mean, things are things are looking good for Renault, aren't they? Right? Yeah, if we just focus on just the F1 team, things are going real good. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's that looming off in the distance. Um, of all the cars you've seen so far, I mean, granted, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a couple more uh, launched uh, tomorrow, so we've got this recording time just wonderfully. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have some more launched over the next week, and then the first uh, preseason test. I believe that is. We're we're very well prepared. So that first test is going to be February 18th, Barcelona, Spain, the same day Alfa Romeo launches their car. Yep, Alfa holding it <laughs> to the last moment. But, uh, yeah, you were going to ask questions? <laughs> okay, of all the uh, of all the cars that we've seen so far, um, King, which one is looking the best for, for 2019? Granted, we're gonna have a king. We're gonna have Dre come on the show. We're gonna have six more cars launched by the time this actually gets up and running. And then, of course, we'll Ooh. talk about those on our next show. This, this is gonna be an unpopular take, but I think my favorite so far is the Williams. You're going with the Williams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I I can respect this. Because it's it's different from what Williams used to do when they were recently displaced from a title sponsor, which was just run something of a Rothmans pattern car, but without the color or the sponsorships or anything distinctive. And we were kind of worried that was kind of what was going to happen after Martini left, where they just run a D-badge Martini livery and change nothing. Um, but this is different. And apparently Sir Frank likes it. I just hope it's as fast as it looks. Nice. Oh man, and of course, um, of course, we'll have more on the remainder of our launches. We still have Mercedes, who are teasing a radical new livery. Please don't get ahead, <laughs> Please don't get ahead of yourselves. And if they really went with that black and teal camo pattern, it would be it would be something to talk about. But I, I don't think they're gonna run that in races. Yeah, like maybe for like the first test and that's it. No, they've got Mercedes, we got Ferrari, we got Red Bull, we got proper Red Bull, the first car with the new Honda um, engine. You've got uh, you've got the aforementioned uh, Alfa Romeo, and you've got McLaren. We'll talk about McLaren some as well. And we have got, and we've got Racing Point tomorrow from Toronto, Canada. Ooh, yeah, the racing point's going to be real interesting. 
Will it still be pink? Will it be orange? Will it be green? Will it be transparent? <laughs> Will it be maple leaf? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> It'll just be silver and teal again. Oh, Cam, stop shooting down our optimism. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got half of our car launches down, and um, after we get back from this quick musical interlude, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a uh, pretty thick news section. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with you. several different stories that we want to cover in our news section um king they're in some order in our set list but i'll be honest you can pick one and we'll uh and we'll roll with it what do you want to talk about first i think we should stay in the realm of f1 for a second and go with the story that recently break that that recently broke that being sports will not be renewing their deal to broadcast Formula One across the Middle East and North Africa. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's, um... Hmm. That is, uh... Well, surely it's, uh... Surely it's just because, you know, they've just, uh... Going through negotiations. I mean, surely they've already found a new partner. Nothing's screwy going on, right? Well, uh... Their five-year contract ended at the end of last season. (laughs) So... Um, and pretty much all negotiations have stalled largely due to the prevalent piracy that is going on in the region. It is, it is not exactly clear who is doing this, but it seems like Be Out Q, the, the TV station in Saudi Arabia, a legitimate TV station is... Uh, being state-sponsored by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to pirate Formula One and other major sporting events. You know, I'm sure I heard this story before, and even hearing it again, I still don't believe this. Yes, because this came up before because we mentioned it during the World Cup last year. (laughs) My goodness. Back before uh, Kylian Mbappe won all of our hearts. Well... (laughs) Unless you were rooting against the French national team. Oh. And, man. The statements they've put out is is definitely against Be Out Q. And this is... I, I don't know if this is aimed directly at them, but it's going to hurt Formula 1 because their previous contract was worth uh, about $30 million a year to Formula 1 goodness that's uh that's a large chunk of change to give up yeah and it's and it's i'd say the middle east and north africa is a pretty important market for formula one absolutely yeah when you consider you have major events there abu dhabi bahrain among the among the uh, the most prevalent of the two if not the only two yeah and man Pretty much, uh, the 
the managing director of BN Sports for that region was quoted as saying, the international community must take decisive action to bring this state-sponsored piracy to to an immediate end. State-sponsored piracy. Hmm. Things are very good. Things are fine in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, aren't they? Real fine. Real fine. <laughs> Oof. Goodness. Um... King, pick something that we that I should lead us into next. Well, I think we should go down under to Australia and talk about talk about oh, the glorious, yes. glorious thing. Hours, Twelve hours. <laughs> uh, if you felt disappointed, if you felt a little soggy after that ending to the Rolex Twenty Four Daytona, which got red flag for about um for about a good quarter of its race, like ten hours of non racing in a. Uh, in a 24-hour race? Oh, buddy. Bathurst was just the medicine you needed to pick your spirits right back up. We had a uh, we had a distance record set in a 12-hour race, shattering the record set in 2016. The longest Bathurst 12 hours. The fastest Bathurst 12 hours. And what a finish that we had. If you haven't seen the race, first of all, it's... It's up there. You can find it in full on YouTube somewhere. But if you are really that lazy and you don't want to sit around and watch the whole thing, I implore you to at least watch the final 20 minutes and the final safety car restart. Ooh, because, man, things got spicy. It got heated. And, man, oh, man, the drivers went balls to the wall. Goodness. Um, So, and... With the with this twenty, well, I want to say uh, Matt Campbell took this restart in third. Matt Campbell driving for Earl Bamber Motorsport and Porsche. Yes, that Earl Bamber two-time Le Mans winner, Earl Bamber, running Porsche's uh, cus- main customer team for this race. They have brought two cars, and Matt Campbell was one of them, um, along with Dennis Olson and Dirk Berner, his co-drivers. Um, and at one point, as the final hour was about to start, um, there was the observation made that, of course, you know, the longer the race went green, the more Porsche's main advantage of fuel mileage went out the window. And they were obviously running to a number, and that was costing them the speed and position. But in the final 20 minutes, Matt Campbell put on arguably one of the better describing displays of this young year which would still hold up as one of the better describing displays once this year is all settled. Would you not agree? Yeah, he set the bar ridiculously high for the year. <laughs> Tell him about that Raffaele Marcello pass. Oh, my God. It... It was a send. It was it was it was a, it was a send, but it wasn't the send of the race because that would come later on. But, that would come on the final restart. Campbell is all the way to Marcello's right, and then he just pulls the car all the way left into the inside of Hell Corner to make the move for second place and chase after what was on paper the quickest car of the day. That was with the R Motorsport Aston Martin V12 Vantage GT3, its final race in its current form. And Jake Dennis, uh, the former European F3 standout, was in the form of his dang life he would have been pole sitter at the car not been excluded from the top 10 shootout due to a technical infraction but even afterwards 
That number 62 Aston was still fast, and it looked like they had got the job done. Until 10 minutes to go, Matty Campbell got into that car, boy, and he came out a man. He found <laughs> just enough space at the inside of Forrest's elbow for one Porsche 911 GT3R to fit into, and he absolutely drove it right to the edge of the wall and just in between himself and Jake Dennis, and he made the pass and started driving away. It's like, man. Yeah, like, legitimately after that pass, I thought he was like, oh, he's going to get caught at the chase, he's going to get caught at the chase, but no, he pulled away. He pulled away. Yeah, he had a he he of course stuck his elbows out when he made a pass on uh, the number forty two Schnitzer BMW of Chaz Mostert through the chase. They had bumped wheels. They had sent the BMW through the grass. There was a post race investigation where eventually Campbell was cleared. And know oh, it's kind of funny because that BMW was making some pretty aggressive blocks the whole race. <laughs> yep, it, there there were a lot of unhappy people who described. To pretty much, you know, was like, oh, Campbell was too aggressive out there. Should have been penalized. It was unfair. I think Marcello even used the term, the win was stolen from them. Yeah, Raphael and Marcello was not happy over two slam dunk penalties, which saying that basically they've won an Australian team to win. Like, Lelo, you and Tristan <laughs> and Morrow just rocked up at Suzuka a couple months ago and you molly the field all weekend. You're a good driver. Don't resort. Don't stoop to this. Come on, yeah. buddy. Um, shout outs as well to um, the guy in the Lego hat for showing up again. <laughs> uh, he was my spirit of the race winner. Um, shout outs as well to the Royal Bentley Navy. Oh, my goodness. They had uh, they probably had a car that should have won the race. But uh, Andy Suchek accidentally hit the kill switch on his car when he meant to hit the pit lane speed limiter not once uh, but twice two times it happens <laughs> yeah like i've seen bentley lose this race in what could be considered heartbreaking fashion for them you remember in 2015 with just a few minutes to go they were leading that race, and then all of a sudden, a Nissan comes by and wins the whole damn thing, and they don't even finish on the podium. So that sucked for them. Um, other things that suck for most people. How about Shane Van Gisbergen? The all-star team of Lowndes Wind Cup and Van Gisbergen. <laughs> they have braking troubles. They have cooling troubles. Drivers are getting overheated. And by the time Shane Van Gisbergen climbs out of the car after battling for the final podium position and just coming up short he just passes out on the on the track yeah it was man it was a hard day for those guys <laughs> yeah when dudes like lounge when lounge is like getting out of the car after after a pretty short stint i mean i know he's up there in his years but when he's getting out of his car that soon uh, lets you know that that was a really tough race for them to drive. It was miserable for them. Uh, they really couldn't get the car hooked up. It was kind of a miracle that they even finished in fourth, honestly. Yeah, like, especially, like, in the middle of, you know, an Eastern Australia summer, and, and your car's air conditioning unit isn't working, I'd probably retire. Yeah, Mercedes in general, they, they had a bit of a day. I mean, they got one car on the podium, but with their pace, you kind of feel like they should have had uh, at least the win. Yeah. Oh, uh, what else should we mention? Um, 
Garth Tander driving in the back of Christina Nielsen, KCMG Nissan's hopes evaporating right before my heartbroken eyes. I knew that the Sujio Matsuda Kasamatsu Chio card broken down, but I had missed where Alexander Imperatori waved under the safe under car before the safety car restart. You wouldn't stop waving. Oh, Alex, stop. what are you doing, man? Oh my goodness. But um I reinforce my point that again, go find the final twenty minutes of this race or go listen to the last hour of it on Radio Show Limited on their podcast. Uh, it's it's a good time. And if you can settle down to watch the whole thing, more power to you. I'll tell you, the uh, the, the sunrise over the top of Mount Panorama uh, when this race starts is one of the most beautiful things in any form of motor racing, really. It really is. Yeah, um, it is glorious. All right. Let's pick another story out of this one. I think um, we should stay down in, in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've talked about... So have we talked about uh, Mission Winnow enough yet? <laughs> yes. Do we, yes, we want to talk have. about Mission Winnow some more? <laughs> I guess I guess we're going to have to. <laughs> okay. So Mission Winnow, of course, are Philip Morris's very vague attempt to make smoking look cool again. I mean, even months later... Do we really know what it is? No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> but somehow it's... Uh, I mean... I mean, I, this story popped up last week. Um, could you... Uh, apparently, Mission Winnow are in trouble in Australia? Yes, Mission Winnow are under investigation by the Australian Federal, Federal Health Department the Victorian State uh, Health Department in the state of Victoria, you know, where Melbourne is, and the Australian Communications and Media Authority, largely due to their belief that Mission Winnow is covert advertising for tobacco products. Wow. Really? I never <laughs> would have guessed. you imagine that that when that word comes up in places where you used to see other philip morris brands that also started with an m with the exact same teams they were response i never would have guessed <laughs> never would have guessed yes um from uh yes from uh i want to say it's to uh want to say here the uh i'm trying to find the uh, the spicy quotes here uh, basically, they said uh, it, as a mission winnow, has nothing to do with Formula One cars. That's for sure. Oh, oh, I have it right here from oh, uh, from Philip Morris International, uh, Director of Global Communication, uh, Tommaso Di Giovanni. Quote, the initiative and and the symbols and logos used on the livery of the scooter, Scuderia Ferrari Mission Winnow and the website comply with the laws <laughs> comply with the laws that apply to our activities in Australia and the state of Victoria. We are aware of the debate on Mission Winnow in Australia and we are working hard with the organizers of the local Grand Prix to understand the concerns of the authorities and give them uh, give them an answer. Mission Winnow does not advertise or promote our company's products or product brands. Rather, it is designed to talk about our commitment to improving ourselves in everything we do. 
<laughs> thinking. Um, from Melbourne surgeon and anti-smoking campaigner John Cunningham. This website actually makes it much clearer what they are trying to achieve and what sort of business they're in. Yep. Literally, no- I said it in the episode where, we, where about the Mission Window launch. It's like, there's literally tobacco in the launch video. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that's fine. At least some other giant that has uh, previous ties with tobacco companies and sponsors, they didn't sign another deal like this, right? Right? <laughs> oh, God. British American tobacco are back. <laughs> McLaren Racing has announced a new multi-year partnership with British American Tobacco. The deal will be focused solely on BAT's potentially reduced-risk products and grounded in technolo- technology and innovation. See, at least British American Tobacco know what they're doing. They know that they need to advertise their, you know, uh, alternatives to traditional tobacco products they even said in the press release it gives us a truly global platform with which to drive greater resonance of our potentially reduced risk products and include and includes names of their electronic cigarettes (laughs) see that's what you're supposed to do just like how just like how australia galicia they don't advertise their alcoholic beer because that would be questionable and illegal (laughs) that's what you got to advertise a non-alcoholic beer because you can advertise that anywhere you feel like yeah the uh the initiative is a better tomorrow (laughs) a better tomorrow which uh mclaren certainly has to hope for it am i right folks (laughs) I don't know. To me, a better tomorrow sounds like some like rip-off James Bond novel. <laughs> yes. Um. Of course. Uh. Be sure to look for. Um. Be sure to look for. Um. Uh. Sponsorship. Actually, whoa, whoa! How could I forget? A better tomorrow was a John Woo action movie. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> a better tomorrow. Yeah. I. I don't know how I. Because I've always been of the opinion that, like, Formula One should have weaned itself off the tobacco teat uh, 15 years sooner. I know you're not finding many other avenues of revenue, but at the same time, it's, it feels really sketchy for them to backdoor their way in. Much like it's potentially sketchy that maybe uh, Rich Energy is paying for a lot of these Haas F1 coverage and that's not being disclosed properly. Not at all. And these outlets are denying that they're being paid by uh, Rich Energy. And I have video evidence of them saying that they're sponsored by Rich Energy. (laughs) Right. From people who just happen to work in the same conglomerate. Oh, goodness. Um, Yeah. I don't know how how I feel about this, honestly. I mean, I could kick up a fuss about it, but it would just be drowned down by the bunch of loud idiots who are just like, I want my tobacco money in my large replacement feet while vengeance cracks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we can't, we can't go back to the late 90s, guys. It's not possible. Sure we can. We can get the Spice Girls back in their prime and the Nintendo 64 is the cutting edge of video games. <laughs> 
Oh tears. Oh my goodness. I, I couldn't imagine what kind of uh what kind of third rate vape shop that Williams could pull as a title sponsor <laughs> if they didn't pull Rocket. Oh man. Oh wait, we're watching we're still keeping tabs on IndyCar uh pre uh spring training. The first TS session was in. Colton Herta was the fastest driver of the test. Oh you don't say Oh boy. <laughs> Um so this I guess should um uh, lead us into a story that broke up yesterday now if you recall at the end of last season harding racing ran two cars for the two top prospects of the indy light series they were colton herda and patricio award and soon afterwards it was announced that the newly formed harding steinbrenner racing would field two full-time cars for both colton herda and for patricio award but in recent days and weeks, we'd started to hear that maybe the deal was not on as solid ground as we once thought for Patricia Ward, who was a dominant series champion in Indy Lights and who does have the Rhodes Indy scholarship in his back pocket. Uh, as it turns out, yesterday it was confirmed that Patricia Ward confirmed his split with Harding Steinbrenner Racing after asking for his release from the team. Ugh. And this is with a month to go before the start of the season. Um, Of course, they had switched from Chevrolet to Honda engines. And they were only provided one full-time engine lease. It was not two full-time engine leases as was previously promised. It was one full-time lease for Herda and one part-time lease for Award to cover the Indy 500 plus at least two races, which was not the deal that was going on. And... Patricia yeah, that, was very that was not yeah that was not the deal they agreed to. Funnily enough, that is the contractual that is the contractual minimum to be eligible to use the one million dollars for for winning the Indy Lights championship. Yes, uh, the Harding Steinbrenner Racing Team supported my decision to seek a new opportunity by releasing me from my contract and allowing me to find the opportunity to find a new team before the start of the 2019 says, season. Says Patricia Award. Now I'm fully focused on finding the right opportunity and how I will use my scholarship from any lights for 2019. Uh, Patricia Ward had more to say to David Malsher of Motorsport.com. Problem is the season about to begin. I do not know what will happen. Right now I'm trying to stay positive and things will go well, but it is difficult because there is no full-time team, no time anymore. There are teams that do not have extra cars. Um, Award suggests that the lack of information from the team, not the lack of money, was the most disappointing aspect of the situation. Here's where I empathize with him. What moves the race is money. He said, you cannot get angry with someone if they do not have it. What saddened me the most is that if I continued to trust them, I would have ended up in the dumpster. Mm. That's, that's kind of the crux of any issue. Like, you're telling this driver to trust you, your team's management, even though pretty much it seem, seems likely that your your lack of success in finding sponsorship will probably cost this driver his career. Right. I mean, Patricia Award, of course, has had funding, has had issues gathering funding throughout some stages of his road to Indy. There were times where he was racing on a race-to-race deal in Pro Mazda 
Or you couldn't really afford to get a full season in the lights until last year when he signed with Andretti. Um, and, I mean, again, I, I agree with Patricia. It's not so much the money. I, he understands that money is what moves the business, but he was sold on the idea that this would be a full-time drive after he impressed so well at Sonoma, after he won the Indy Lights Championship, that he would get the full-time seat that his talents deserve, only to be told, actually, this is just going to be Indy 500 and two other races. You're only going to get the minimum out of your deal. Yeah, yeah, literally when you when you sign a piece of paper with a team saying that you'll be there at every single race event, then they pretty much change terms after you sign the paper. Yeah, that's going to dissolve any trust you had for them. And this actually uh, awoken someone that we hadn't actually heard from. Well, until his Twitter was hacked by some Turkish Instagram mail model and then recovered... <laughs> Uh, that was something. Santiago Urrutia. If you'll remember, Santiago Urrutia was the Pro Mazda champion, Indy Light Series runner-up, uh, one of the most exciting drivers in the championship, and the obvious heir apparent to the potential that Gonzalo Rodriguez would have had had he lived to realize that. And he piped up saying that he had a very similar experience with what was then Harding Racing before they merged with Steinbrenner saying that basically he had a deal with Harding Racing to run full time in 2018 with Gabby Chavez as his teammate. And then all of a sudden, um, he stopped receiving any phone calls, he stopped receiving any emails. Um, finally, I said, I stayed in Indy for three days and they never got my text calls or texts or anything. Finally, I reached out to Mike Harding and we had a meeting. We had breakfast very early at 5, 5 p.m. So we had a meeting in this restaurant, and he said to me, Santi, you're going to be the driver. See, so you have a lot of potential race with us, and you are going to be teammates with Gabby Chavez. Everything is done. We've got the sponsorship and everything, and we are going to pay you a salary, and not everyone does that at IndyCar. Yeah. And then, obviously, as we saw from the lack of Santiago Rutia in the IndyCar series with Harding Racing, none of that came to pass. They gave him a contract, $100,000 to race in Indy Lights with Bellardi. Once that deal fell through, flew again to Indy, and they told me that they couldn't find him a sponsor. They thought that what we would do is make me race in Indy Lights, and if I win the championship, then I go straight with them in IndyCar. Never gave him the 100000 never gave him the ride in IndyCar. Um, so don't get me wrong when I talk about bad with Harding, because with Colton, I, I don't think he has something to do with this, because I think he's a good hit. The problem is just the people. Mike Harding and all the other people around him. I know the yeah. situation Pato is in right now, and that is why I put it on Twitter, because he pisses me off saying, what an unprofessional team is is Harding Racing. He, yeah, he ends and like, uh, Robin Miller actually put out a column, which is actually very biased in Mike Harding's favor. Basically, the crux of the, the whole uh, column is that it's, it's not Mike's fault. Uh, there are harsh realities in racing. But there's one point where it really sticks out. And if you really step back and think about it, it's like, this really is Mike Harden's fault. <laughs> where, right. Do re yeah, like four years ago, was it, were we not dragging Manisha Kaltenborn over hot coals for signing too many drivers and not keeping all of them because you can't do that? So, yeah, this is the quote from Robin Miller. Uh but as the calendar crept into 2019, we began hearing stories. 
Harden had laid off all but a couple people. Nothing was happening in the shop on Main Street and Speedway because money was tight, to be kind. And Steinbrenner had yet to announce any sponsorship. The understanding was that Steinbrenner would take care of uh, Colton Herta, while Mike Harden would handle Paddle Award uh, in terms of finding money. All through January, I kept putting off calling Harding Racing President Brian Bernhardt because I was hoping things would get turned around by spring training. Finally, I called Award a couple weeks ago, and he was distraught because he didn't have a car or a crew from what he could gather. He was told to be patient, but he wanted Harding to release him so he could take his $1 million Indy Lights championship bonus to another team and try to salvage something for 2019. End quote. It should be also pointed out that Gabby Chavez, who was on a multi-year deal with uh, Harding, has been bought out for the 2019 season. So that's what happened with him, of course. Connor Daly, who raced with Harding near the end of 2018, is now with Andretti Autosport on a part-time deal. Um, And we don't know where Patricia Ward is going to head. I would hope that any just society where there's talents to get rewarded and where people will do the right thing by him, that he would find at least something for at least most of the season, certainly the Indianapolis 500, more than just the three races that its scholarship would provide. But it's it's going to be hard to repair this trust in what Harding Steinbrenner Racing is meant to do. And again, I don't blame George the Fourth for this at all. For once, as a as an Atlanta Braves fan, who was tormented <laughs> by the memories of '96 and 1999, don't put this evil in the Steinbrenners. And I know Mike Harding's going through a divorce right now. So have many other professionals who at least honored their professional deals with other people, even during a divorce. Yeah. I mean, the absolute state of this. I mean, when you when you sign a guy like that who immediately impresses on his IndyCar Series debut, and you know his talent in sports cars and single-seaters, uh, it's again it's it's really disappointing i would hope something good comes out of this but this is not looking good and if i'm if i'm george the fourth and i'm quoting the word i'm thinking what can i do to protect potentially find a new partner but hey they've got an alliance with andretti technologies <laughs> this makes it all better now Charlie, yeah. Charlie in the chat. Can the IRS check the Ferrucci tax papers? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, his his car is chrome now. Also, uh, in a much happier story, we're actually glad to see RC Enerson back in a Carlin racing car and just tearing it up in spring training. Um, it looks like he's going to be splitting uh, twelve and five with Charlie Kimball, who is cutting back his schedule. Which actually, that is really good to see that. Anderson is back. Another driver who had fallen on hard times and kind of fell off the face of the planet a bit, but he is back, and if he's going to be driving most of the season, that is awesome that he's here. Yeah, it's awesome to see him back, man. It's besides, besides the whole Harding fiasco, I'm pretty excited for this upcoming IndyCar season. Right. I, I am excited for Colton Herta. I want to see what George Fourth can bring. I just, I can't I can't really trust Harding, and especially with Yurutia backing up, um, backing up with his testimony of that. I don't know if I can trust this dude. Um, speaking of things that you can't, hmm, well, should we talk about the W series since we forgot to mention in the last week's show? I know everybody is uh, clamoring for 
W series content from us. <laughs> I would say when, when we decided to push it back to the next episode, it, it seemed like, Oh, they had, you know, a decent selection process event. And then stories from people who unfortunately did not get uh, chosen to be on the final short list of 28 drivers started to come out, and they were not happy. No, they were not. Isla Agren, um, a noted name from the Road to Indy in recent years, is saying that she's not sure if she'll continue to race after missing out on a, on a deal to advance in the W Series. Which, uh, and again, one of, she currently spots for Pippa Man, and uh, both were very vocal. Uh, again, it's it's 100% truthful that you might not race again after this, but to say it's the W Series' fault, that's putting a little too much on them because, again, she actually did not race last year. She did not race in the 2018 season either. This was her one opportunity to have a guaranteed spot at racing. She was not one of the... She was not one of the drivers to be, you know, chosen to join the field. So, unfortunately, that guaranteed spot to be racing in 2019 is not there anymore. Yeah, there's the, uh, I mean, it, it, I, I've had mixed feelings in this. I, I'm not sure how I, how I feel about the W Series at this point, but I am pretty excited for the names that are advancing. How about Shatters? <laughs> Folks, let's talk about the fact that in between episodes, Jamie Chadwick became the MRF Challenge champion, which makes her the single-seater champion of India, a championship that has also been won by the likes of Connor Daly in years past, which has also started the likes of Mick Schumacher in years past. Jamie Chadwick won that damn thing, and she overhauled Matt Stefani to get it. Yeah, like an incredible weekend, incredible final weekend where she won all three races. All three, one, two, three of them. And I would say uh, all the races are available up on YouTube. But watch race three. Watch race three where she starts fourth in the grid and she works her way up through the field. Well, she has a spectacular start but almost gets run off the road. Uh, but pretty much makes pretty quick work in the top three drivers. And just, you know, takes it home for the championship. Oh, man, that's, uh, yeah, that is genuinely, genuinely awesome. Like, I'm happy that Jamie Chadwick is enjoying success. Like, I first heard about her when she was the GT4 champion of Britain driving for Aston Martin. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, she is an absolute star of the making. And I was surprised to see her switch to single-seaters. And even more surprised that after couple of shaky years she's starting to get the hang of this and she's apparently king she's one of the favorites in the w series after preseason uh, testing yeah well it's it's obvious now to see why she's one of the favorites oh goodness you're no kidding yeah that apparently king you said this you told me uh off the air after last week's episode that there was going to be a big four yeah that, essentially that they were four drivers who they who pretty much everyone there pegged to be the favorites to win the series outright because it's essentially going to be 
entirely based on driver skill wants to get the, out there on track because they're all going to be in the same car prepared by the same team. There are going to be like no individual teams in the W series. Uh, so it's going to be essentially down to who's fast out on track, who could, you know, best work with their engineers to get their car set up in practice. And it's kind of leading towards, you know, this big four who are clearly knowledgeable at what they do already have the potential to get even faster and pretty much are head and shoulders better than most of the other drivers in the field. Right. So we've started with Jamie Chadwick, who was, uh, who had won in British formula three, not the old British formula three, but the series that currently exists is British formula three. Uh, so she is a British formula three race winner, a British GT champion, and now an MRF challenge champion. Um, the other three, love to hear more about them uh the other three who did i miss out i need to go back and find this article because i believe the other three was uh jamie chadwick it was uh bietzka visser bietzka visser another yeah she's driven some pretty fast cars in recent years she spent three series in what was uh formula renault 3.5 later Formula V8, uh, a race winner in ADAC Formal Masters, the forerunner to German F4. Uh, she's been racing GT4 cars in 2018. It looks like she's back into single-seaters. That's awesome. And I believe the other one was uh, Alice Powell. Alice Powell. Uh, a, she's won uh, Asian Formula Renault. She has uh, victories in the Motorsport Vision Formula 3 Cup. Uh, she's been around the world, and she's even competing in the IPAC Trophy, the Formula E Support Series. And I believe the last one was one that was sort of unexpected going in. Uh, think uh, uh, Miki Koyama. Miki Koyama from the... FIA for F4 Japanese Championship. Yeah, she was a surprise to a lot of people there because uh, in their little Race of Champions style competition, she ended up coming out on top, winning it all. Dang. Dang, that is that is awesome. I've, I've seen Mickey race in Formula 4 for much of the last few years. Um had a best uh, had a best finish of seventh last year in 2018 on the uh, on the Super GT support bill. I mean she's she's had ambitions of one day racing in Formula One, um, and it's I think it's really awesome to see that she's progressing along so well. I mean with those four drivers and with some of the other names that I've seen on this list, Americans will be familiar with Natalie Decker, um, Sarah Moore I've seen and. Uh, racing in uh let me see where have i seen sarah moore racing i'm probably thinking of somebody else here sarah bovey i've seen racing prototypes in the asian lamaze series um marta garcia of course a former renault formula one prospect uh saber cook another name familiar to americans there's some there's some decent drivers here again i'm i'm not entirely sure if i'll ever be fine with how the W series came to be and the politics behind it. But if the racing's going to be good, 
If it'll actually give somebody an actual opportunity to perform well and advance up the ladder and hopefully make it to Formula One sometime soon, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm okay with it. I don't know if I'll ever be great with it, but I guess I'm fine with it. Yeah, like it's 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 a free drive. You get you get pretty much a free opportunity to build up experience. Uh, I think a lot of people, including Pippa Man, were upset by uh, the way the destruction process worked. It wasn't based around pure speed. Right. Which... That's one of the things that I had a problem with. It's, it's not just speed. It's marketability. It's your ability to communicate with the press. And I get that. I, I honestly... But it's like there are, there are a lot of other things around just being able to communicate. Like, yeah, you got to be able to communicate with the press. You also have to be able to communicate with your race engineer. It's there, there are a whole lot of things that go into racing other than just being fast out on track. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I mean, communicating with the engineers is a must because uh, how, how often have great uh, junior formula drivers not been able to make the next step once they get into F1 or IndyCar or what have you? Yeah, it's like the, the one thing that kind of, you know irked me the wrong way was if you watched any social media post that they put out from that weekend it was highly polished production footage that it's it's clearly being framed as a tv product which kind of makes me feel uncomfortable about it yeah almost like they were trying to pitch this more as like a reality tv series than a legitimate form of motorsport yeah yeah I mean, GT Academy was different because it was still a genuine competition and at its heyday it's it's framed as reality television, but th- that was something entirely different. It was literally taking video game players and turning them into real racing drivers. Yeah, they, and, you know, yeah, taking video games and turning them into real racing drivers and it, you know, it, it was... The GT Academy wasn't hinged on either Polyphony or Nissan making a profit out of it. It was essentially marketing for Gran Turismo. That's that's the only thing in terms of business that they had, you know, an eye on. Yeah, and of course, um, now it looks like the GT Academy, at least as we know it, has gone away. They've shifted to a pure esports model for Igor Fraga's the star, Team RJN, the British team that used to house all the grants the gt academy graduates they've now switched to honda uh but um but all kidding aside i mean i i want to see what the w series does on track first and I, I would love to see like you know especially not all the bit all, all as well as the big four i would love to see some of the other women get a chance to succeed yeah i because, feel like uh i, I don't know if this I'm pretty sure it wasn't Pippa, but it was a lot of other uh, American-based drivers kind of upset that Natalie Decker was one of the drivers chosen. Which, I mean, only if you, only if you're just like kind of an oval racing snob. I mean, Natalie Decker's all right, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't, like, heard anything objectively terrible about Natalie Decker. She's not canceled yet. Well, it's more of like, hey, she's not an open-wheel driver, which, again, it's ridiculous to even bring up. Uh, 
Before we get into our previews of uh, Daytona and Mexico City, uh, I, I guess we should bust out the Japan section. Uh, yep. Okay, so we had uh, grids come together. Let's start with Super Formula, because that's closer to Formula 2. And uh, speaking of Formula 2, um, we've got some familiar faces on this grid. we got a rookie class of seven. Ooh, and there's some big-name rookies. <laughs> Okay, so among the new drivers that we have, again, these are drivers that will be competing in the first full-time season. So, yes, reigning two-time Daniel, uh, Formula 2, for, Macau Formula 3 champion, sorry, reigning two-time for Macau Grand Prix winner Dan Tickdom would classify as a rookie in my book. Um, he is joined by Artem Markalov driving for Team Lamar. That's right. Artem Markalov, professional fun haver, has found a new job. Oh, it is. <laughs> I was worried. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to see Artem Markalov race anywhere in 2019. And the, cool, and the cool thing is, if they're keeping their title sponsorship from last year, it means Artem Markalov is going to be driving a bright pink car. <laughs> I don't expect that be to happen. wild. I don't expect that to happen, but... Uh, yeah, that would be pretty neat. Um, we've got a fair mix of international talents. We covered Markalov, we covered Tictum, BMAT's racing with Motorspark, Motopark. Have uh, Lucas Auer of Austria. That would be Gerhard Berger's nephew. That would be the former DTM race winner. And they also have Harrison Newey, the former Asian Le Mans Series champion and son of Adrian Newey. Ooh, that's that's a rookie lineup. Like. Like, completely ignoring the familiar relations. I did not know that Lucas Auer was related to Gerhard Berger until this moment. TCS Nakajima Racing also have an all-rookie lineup of Alex Paolo of Spain, uh, the who had won races and is a GP3 race winner, is a Formula V8 race winner. He uh, raced in European and Japanese Formula 3 the last few years. Um, very, very solid driver. And he's got a Formula 2 race winner alongside him in Tadasuke Makino. Yes, the Magic Man is back in Japan. Ooh. And isn't it crazy how both the Russian time drivers from last year both ended up in Super Formula now? Well, unfortunately, that's largely due to Russian time not existing anymore. But hell, if they're gonna be in, if they're gonna race anywhere, thank God it's Super Formula. Yeah. And I think the one driver, when I pulled uh, through the Super GT World Twitter account, at Super GT World, the driver most people seem to be excited about is Showtime. Show Boy, winner of 17 out of 19 Formula 3 races uh, last year in All Japan F3. That was a dominant season. He's going up to yeah. GT500. He's going up to Super Formula. And he's going up with a team in Inging Saramo that has won uh, three of the last four championships. Oh, and all so he, these names alongside defending and two-time series champion Naoki Yamamoto, uh, Kaz Nakajima, the reigning Lama winner, reigning Super GT and Super Formula Vice champion Nick Cassidy, two-time champion Hiroki Ishiura, reigning Daytona 500, reigning Daytona 24-hour winner Kabuki Kobayashi. Oh, boy, that would have been a headline. And, uh, <laughs> whatever the hell a Tristan Charpentier is at real racing... <laughs> One of only two people that does not have a Wikipedia page. It's, it's, it's Tristan Charpentier, like, 
an actual person and not like a pseudonym for like Tristan Vautier or like. <laughs> well, apparently he finished 12th in last year's British Formula 3 championship. Four places behind the aforementioned Jamie Chadwick, six places behind Billy Monger, 11 places behind Linus Lundquist. Only one oh, place God. ahead of Jamie Caroline, who only did like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight races. I'm not saying that they have thrown this kid into the deep end, but uh, <laughs> they've really thrown this kid in the deep end, haven't they? Yep. Uh, now, JT500's a little more settled. We didn't have a lot of changes. Jensen Button and Aoki Yamamoto are back for Team Kunimitsu. There's a couple new drivers. Uh, Yuichi Nakayama, Shosu Boy, and a rain car at the can, all getting GT500 debuts. Um, we have some returning faces, like Fred Makowicki's back as a Porsche driver, but also as a Nissan driver. Um, and James Rossiter and Kohei Arate back are transferring from Toyota. New teams from Kenti Yamashita, Yan Martinborough, and Bertrand Baguette. And at the end of Nissan's press conference, we learned that Satoshi Motoyama was retiring. And that's, um, without going into too much detail here, but Motoyama was one of the greatest drivers to ever come from Japan. A three-time GT500 champion, a four-time Super Formula champion, maybe one of the most accomplished drivers in recent years to never get a crack at F1. Yeah. But... Oh God. He had a uh, he had a he had a Friday test drive with Jordan at the end of 2003, and he had a Renault test in December of 2003. Uh, at which point he was already in his early to mid 30s. And I mean, you talk about. His, uh, his incredible career in single-seaters. I mean, four titles, 27 wins, which is the most since the uh, since the start of the Formula Nippon era, since 1996. And that's second all-time if you stretch it all the way to the start of professional Formula racing in Japan, going back to 1973. Um, he's a three-time GT500 champion, led the league in career wins for the longest time. Um, and of course, uh, most people will probably know him from being the protagonist of the efforts to get the Delta Wing back up and running in the 2012-24 Hours of Le Mans when he, he was clipped by his countryman Kazuki Nakajima, crashed in the Porsche curbs, and with only a few hand tools and his mechanics standing behind the spectator fence because they couldn't actually jump in and fix the car for him, um, he tried for two hours to try and get that car back to the garage. Ultimately, it didn't work out, but I think on that day, I think he made a legend for himself at Le Mans, a race where he only competed four times and only finished once. Uh, but that really shouldn't take away from an incredible career. I mean, I I pointed out, like, for an American equivalent, this would be like the day that Jeff Gordon or Tony Stewart decided to hang up their helmets. So that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of, that's the kind of legacy that he leaves behind Japan. And he's still going to be with Nissan as an executive advisor to the GT500 teams. Uh, it really does feel strange because when I was first getting into the series, um, he was the man at the championship and now he's done driving. Yeah, it's, it's you know, always kind of one of those moments where kind of that star driver from the time you started watching racing finally decides to step away and you kind of realize how, you know, how much... Not only that driver went through, but you went through as a fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. And 
there are some stories. Motoyama was a bit of a hothead as a kid. He got involved in a little retaliatory incident at the end of the 97 Touring Car Championship that suspended him for the rest of the year and cost him 500,000 yen and could have stripped him of his racing license. And thankfully, he learned from that and became one of the greatest drivers who ever raced and maybe should have gotten an opportunity at F1 if maybe the timing, the sponsorship, or the backing was just right. We'll never know, but you know, he was one of the greatest drivers and cheers to an amazing career, Satoshi. And good luck uh, with Nissan moving forward. Um, we've got Daytona. we got Mexico coming up this weekend. Any pertinent thoughts on Daytona? Ooh. And maybe the only time we cover NASCAR <laughs> until the end of the season. I, I know. But based off of what happened in the clash, I, I'm I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's going to be good time for NASCAR. So what I do know is that William Byron is on pole. Jimmy Johnson finally won a race after he might have taken out three quarters of the field before a red flag for rain. <laughs> uh, we still have qualifying races left to go. Again, I'll always be excited for the Daytona 500 because it's still, it's still like, if I watch one NASCAR race, it's going to be that. But NASCAR is in hard times. We know this. They have a long-term plan to try and fix this. How that'll play out, it remains to see. Also, yeah. I, I also I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chase Elliott won this. <laughs> but you never know. You never know. Um, I guess we're more excited about Mexico. More yeah, the Mexico City free. City, yeah. All the ways for Andre Lauder's Iron Man streak to end in WEC. A Formula E simulation <laughs> test was certainly the most recent. Ooh. I mean, hey, like, I'd rather be in, you know. Oh, I, I don't blame you one bit. I don't blame you one bit because, like, in the WC, third place is a victory if you're a privateer. Or you could just, you know, actually win a race. So, yeah, Mexico City Pre, February 16th. We'll have a review of it on our next episode. We're coming in with Sam Bird and Jerome D'Ambrosio separated by just two points at the top. Can Antonio Felix get Costa bounce back from back-to-back -back victories? Can we get our fourth different winner in as many E's pre? Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be hot because uh the attack zone is in the stadium. Oh baby! Now we're talking. It's the end of the Latin American swing for Formula E this weekend, and then we pick it up with a double in uh, East Asia and Hong Kong and Sanya, China on March 10th and March 23rd. And we'll have more on that, potentially more on the Daytona 500 and uh, some more car launches on our next episode of Motorsport 101. King, if we miss any uh, important news in the time that we were recording? Uh, we missed one really, really big important piece of news, RJ. <laughs> Oh boy! It is one of our own. Will is stepping away for yeah. a while. Yeah. So we we did want to save this to the end of the show. A thank you to uh, the person who 
helps make make Motorsport 101 uh, a really awesome podcast and Bike Live as well. There would not be a Bike Live without this gentleman. There arguably wouldn't be Motorsport 101 as you hear it and see it in its current form and writing a video without it today. Um, Lewis Sotheby, um has been really a champion as co-host of Bike Live and producer of Motorsport 101 for so, so many years. Um, we recently learned Lewis is going to be taking on a new gig uh, with Dorna, with Dorna Sport, with the actual people behind MotoGP and World Superbikes. And if that is not a dream job, I don't know what the hell is. I say as I'm eyeing that application for the IMSA social media spot. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just glad it wasn't the monolith. I'm just glad it wasn't the monolith. You know... I, in the time that I've uh, worked with Lewis over the last couple of years, he's been really awesome. He's a really creative person. He's put a lot of time and effort into both this show and a Bike Live as, as a really great co-host. And, of course, he led the idea for Bike Live to to become part of the Motorsport one, 101 family in full uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, very, very knowledgeable. Picks us up even when we forget some things. I, I know I certainly <laughs> have. Uh, uh, helps produce this show, Bike Live, and Lewis is of course going to be stepping away because the the new role with Dorna it's a big ambition. And you know, honestly, I I, I just know Lewis that you're going to do really really awesome at this, and uh, I know there will be more on this to come in the next episode of Bike Live. Uh, but Lewis, um, I'm sure on behalf of everyone all of our backers, all of our listeners, and especially all of our all of our hosts that we've had over the years. It's been awesome. And I thank you so much for everything. And I, and I know personally, I, I feel like I, I, I owe you a lot of gratitude. I'm sure we all do. Yeah. This, this show wouldn't be the same without you, Lewis. So from the bottom of our hearts, send this from Dre as well who will be back on next week's show to talk more about it Lewis thank you for everything and good luck on your next adventure yeah good luck in Barcelona places you can find us uh, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 if you wish to follow us personally we are at Harris 101 HD at Ryan Eric King and at RJ O'Connell you wish to back us financially we're patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 you can find all of our content on motorsport 101.com thank you everybody for listening in we'll be back in two weeks time with motorsport 101 episode 79 in between that we'll have a bike live episode um for ryan eric king for andre harrison i'm rj o'connell i'm saying so long we'll see and we'll listen to you on the next episode later y'all bye mention this oh yeah it's it's like everyone of course everyone has their favorite lewis moments on bike live 
But one of my favorite moments of Louis Sutterby on, on Motorsport 101 doesn't actually involve him. <laughs> it involved that one time we had Hazel on. And Hazel thought Dre was was talking to an omniscient Lewis Hamilton. But no. <laughs> no, we had to mention he was talking to an omniscient Lewis Sutterby. <laughs> Oh, that's fucking wonderful. God.